Well, good morning, Hope Church. Great to be with you, whether you're here in person or you're online. We are in the midst of a series titled, Your Work Matters to God, and Bethany did a great uh, artwork there, didn't she, with that, especially for those who like construction. But uh, it's our prayer that you uh, grow in your understanding that your work matters to God, and, and I pray that you... This morning's passage will continue to, to anchor that into your heart. You know, we live a, in a country, and, and most of us probably could pick what kind of things we wanted to do, what kind of career, what kind of job we did. I mean, I mean, there's certain limitations. I mean, I wanted to be a professional tennis player. Well, neither one of my parents played tennis, so, you know, they, it wasn't in the cards there. But, uh, but there are some people who really had no choice. I mean, and it was kind of because of their name. You know, for instance, if your name is Amy Freeze... Sarah Blizzard, or Larry Sprinkle, you are destined to be what? Yeah, meteorologist, someone who reports on the weather. Young lady, last name was you, uh, oriental lady, Y-O-O. Her parents uh, named her Sue. Sue Yu. Yeah, she became a lawyer. No kidding. This is real people here, real people. And I'm not sure which of these two, uh, Rachel Pullen or Justin Payne, I would want to go to if I have trouble with my teeth. <laughs> but they're both dentists. Yeah. Well, this morning we're looking at a passage from Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 5 to 9. And I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. I believe this passage can radically really challenge how you view your work. You know, the context here in Ephesians, the first three chapters, Paul writes about just the beauty and the glory and the power of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. And then chapter four, he, he makes a turn and kind of just starts writing about what difference should it make in our life? Well, what Christ did for us. And so he talks about how we use our words, he talks about anger, he talks about issues of morality, not to steal. And then in chapter 5, verse 21, he, he uh, begins to focus on the context of the family. He writes about husbands and wives, parents and children, and slaves and masters. Because you know that most homes in the Roman world had slaves. As a matter of fact, 50% of the inhabitants of the Roman Empire were slaves. It was not a racial issue like it was in our country. Most of the people had been defeated militarily. And oftentimes, after a number of years, they were freed, or sometimes their masters would even start them off in a business, and the master would get proceeds from that. But they were the workforce in the Roman Empire, just like we are the workforce in America. Whether you're an employee, a boss, or an owner, I think these principles apply directly to us. The Ephesian church no doubt had slaves and masters as part of their congregation. It was probably one of the most, probably the only place in their culture where they would gather together as equals with no distinction because of Christ. While Paul didn't call believers or churches to overturn the institution of slavery, passages like this were instrumental at getting at the heart. And so that when masters and slaves began to treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, 
the conviction of slavery began to crumble and it ended. And over the last couple of weeks, we've kind of mentioned, Pastor Mass and Matt and Roth, that really, when you go to work, your boss is really not the boss. Right? There is another boss. Jesus is your boss, even if you're the employer or the owner of the company. Jesus is your boss. And this passage in Ephesians really anchors it. In five verses, he's talking about masters and slaves, but he talks about Jesus five times in these five verses. And he makes his point abundantly clear. He says, obey your earthly masters as you would obey Christ. Serve as if you were serving the Lord. So what attitude should you bring to work if this is true? And this applies to those of you who are students. As you're going to school and studying and preparing, what attitude should you bring? So this morning I'm challenging you to bring some attitude to your boss tomorrow morning. The question is, what kind of attitude? Follow along as I read this passage and then we'll dig into it together. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear as with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone. For whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master is yours in heaven. And there is no favoritism. In the similar passage in Colossians, Paul adds this. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. So what kind of attitudes should you bring to work? Well, first of all, the attitude of reverence, of reverence. You know, certainly the idea of obeying a master was not new. I mean, if they knew what was good for them, you know, that's what they did. But what was revolutionary is what Paul says, with reverence. Not only that, with the same reverence that you give Christ. You know, we know that Jesus loves us more than we can imagine, that he was uh, the mercy of God sent for us. We know that he wants to bless us not only in this life, but in the life to come. But when he was raised from the dead, he was also raised above every power, every ruler, every authority. He is the Lord of the universe. And so what Paul is saying is, You would respond to your bosses as if Jesus was the one speaking to you with reverence. I mean, mean, certainly this doesn't mean that if they ask you to do something immoral or wrong, you know, certainly no one should ever cause you to sin. But in pretty much everything else, when your bosses speak, you are to treat it with reverence. 
And you know what? This is, this is getting quite rare, isn't it? I mean, if you think about attitudes at work and how sometimes people will talk about their bosses or their teachers, think about how people think about law enforcement or teachers or, or, or judges. That makes all the more important for us as followers of Christ to be an example, to be a testimony to the power of Christ in our life. When we come with the attitude of reverence. You see, we are representing Jesus, the one who, who had a reverence for his father, wanted to do his father's will, not my will, but yours be done. And we are to be a testimony of what it means to respond to Jesus as the church, as the bride, in reverence. And so when we bring reverence to work, we are a powerful testimony to Jesus. You know, this doesn't matter if you work at an aviary or an apiary. It doesn't matter where you work. But bring the attitude of reverence. But you know what? If your name is Thomas Kitchen, most likely you're what? A chef. Or if your name is Lord Brain, that's quite a name, isn't it? It must be from Europe somewhere. <laughs> He's a neuroscientist. Mm -hmm. Thomas Grieve, he probably makes a great funeral director. <laughs> Actual people. You know, some of your classmates not, may not always talk great about teachers. But you can bring the attitude of reverence and be a powerful testimony in your school. Not only the attitude of reverence, but the attitude of sincerity. S sincerity. This means to say what you mean and, and to mean what you say and to make sure that your actions back up your words. It's the opposite of being a double-focused heart. And how does this play out? Well, one of the ways it plays out is that you work hard when the boss is there, but you also work hard when the boss leaves. You're not just trying to earn their favor Kind of, kind of smooths up to them when they're there, but you try to earn their favor because you're working hard no matter if they're there or they're not there. Or you're studying hard when your teacher is in the room or not in the room. Our actions and our work should be the same. You know, there was a uh, missionary who was responsible for getting some of the, the, someone who, the people who we were missioning to, to, to work hard. And, and, uh, but he would find that when he would leave the area, they would start goofing off and, and being lazy. Well, this missionary had a, had a glass eye. And one day it was irritating him. And so he put his glass eye down on, in the middle of the work area and kind of left to go get something. And he found out they kept working hard. Why? Because the eye was still looking at him. So he thought he'd use that to his advantage. So every time he left, he put his eye down and left and uh, came back. Well, one day he came back and they were goofing off again. And he thought, what in the world? Well, someone had taken a hat and covered the eyeball. Well, we know there's no covering of the eyeball. That our boss, our master, is always there. And if we're seeking to honor him, it doesn't matter if the other boss left. And I love what Paul adds here. He adds this, doing the will of God from your heart. 
Okay, doing the will of God from your heart. I mean, these are slaves he's talking to. You know, when I was in full-time ministry, it was kind of easy to feel like I'm doing the will of God, right? When I'm preparing for a sermon, teaching a Bible study, encouraging someone in the faith, doing the will of God. But, but right now I'm, I'm making panels, wooden panels for, for caskets and coffins. But what Paul is saying is here is I'm doing just as much the will of God. And it's not so much maybe what you're doing, but how you're doing it. And if you do it with a reverence and a sincerity that you were doing the will of God. I mean, think about these, these slaves. It, it wasn't their choice what they did. They, they couldn't pick, you know, the best calling for their life. They did what their master told them to do. But as followers of Christ now, they knew that they were doing the will of God if they're doing it with sincerity and reverence toward their master, no matter what you're doing. You could be doing the will of God, whether you're engineering a new deer product or studying to be an engineer. But if your name is Margaret Bacon, you know, you got a couple options. But being a deli manager, you know, might be one of them. Or if your name is Jason Weed, you know, probably some good careers in lawn management. Unfortunately, this young man took the other course. He was arrested for possession of marijuana. Bad choice. He was not honoring Christ and doing God's will. The third attitude is the attitude of joy. Not only does Paul say that we should work hard at all times and with an honest heart and, and with reverence, but to do it with all of our heart. He said, wholeheartedly serve your masters. When I, when I see someone who's, who's, who's wholeheartedly doing something, I mean, you just see the passion, right? You see the joy. I mean, they're just, they're all in, in doing it. And that's how we're to serve Christ, isn't it? Wholeheartedly with joy. I mean, we get to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But Paul says, bring that same attitude to your job. Romans 12, 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. But now bring that to school. Bring that to where you work. One writer says, Paul lifts the slave's task above the level of compulsive necessity to that of joyful service. I wonder how many of you would describe your workplace as a place of joy or your school. I imagine for many there's a lot of grumbling and complaining. What would happen if we bring joy because of Christ to that place? How much could we stand out? In some regards, it's becoming easier to stand out as a Christian, which sometimes makes it more challenging. But when we bring joy, maybe the seven dwarves were onto something when they whistled while they worked. Maybe we should start whistling more when we're at work because we are representing Christ, the one who, for the joy set before him, 
endured the cross. And Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, be joyful always. Oh, even on Monday morning, Wednesday afternoon, hump day, I mean, you're almost kind of getting there. Always. Because there's the one who brings joy and the Spirit who produces joy in us, the fruit of the Spirit. What a powerful testimony about Jesus in your life you can be as you bring the attitude of joy. It doesn't matter if you're a podiatrist or a podiatrist. But if your name is Les McBurney, you're hoping that your name rings true because <laughs> he was a lieutenant firefighter. <laughs> Les Burney. <laughs> don't want things to burn, and you don't want to burn. <laughs> The fourth attitude is that of hope. You know when someone has a, a secret, they kind of have that you know, little twinkle in their eye, got a little smirk on your face. I mean, you know, you know, they know, they know, they know something that you don't know. Well, Paul here lets us in on a huge secret as believers in Christ. Whatever we do, doesn't matter how spiritual we think it is or how earthly, no matter how big or how small how menial, if we do it with an attitude honoring Christ, Jesus notices. He sees. And Paul says the good is rewarded. See, under Roman law, a slave could never inherit anything. But Paul writes that their true master, that Jesus Christ their eternal master, will reward them. There will be an inheritance waiting for them because of the good that they've done as a reflection of what Christ has done in their life. Not to try to earn it, because we can never earn it. The only thing we earn is God's wrath. But because of his grace and Jesus now, through his spirit working in us. You see, the current situation is temporary. It's fleeting, but what awaits us will be amazing. Hope helps us to persevere, to, to not give up, to not stop. Maybe some of the slaves were being mistreated. Maybe you're, you're in a situation where your boss isn't the nicest person. I had a boss I worked for for a couple months. From the moment they talked to me and hired me, they didn't talk to me until they fired me. It's <laughs> only two times. Never came to me and said, hey, how you doing? How's it going? You know, you're learning, you're picking things up. Never give me feedback, positive or negative. One day I was in the lunchroom, I had a late lunch, so I was the only one in there. And he came in there, looked, looked at me, went to the refrigerator, got something, and left. <laughs> Didn't say anything. It was just the two of You know how awkward that is to be, have two people in a room <laughs> and no conversation? You know, it would be easy in a situation like that, or maybe in a situation you're like, well, pfft. you know, if they're going to be like that, well, pfft, I'm not going to work very hard for that person, Right? they're going to disrespect me, maybe I'll disrespect them. Maybe there'll be some, you know, extra supplies laying around that maybe I'll just help myself to, or maybe some extra tools, right? If they're going to be that kind of person, I'm not going to put money in their pocket. Can't do that. Not as a follower of Christ, walking in a manner worthy of our calling, because I have another boss, a greater boss, one who will reward 
the good that's done. And as I continue to show reverence to someone, maybe don't deserve it, but because of Christ. I show sincerity because of Christ. I bring joy, hopefully into that situation, because of Christ. That doesn't give us an excuse. And the last thing is care. Everything applied beforehand, you may think, well, you know, now the masters, they only get one verse. You know, they can't seem like they're getting off the, off the hook here. But Paul says, everything that's been applied to the masters, or to the slaves, are now also applied to you, masters. In the same way, do the same thing, out of reverence for Christ. In other words, you don't disrespect people who, who you're asking for respect from. Right? You don't sit in your office and be lazy when everybody else is working hard. You don't go around being a grumpus. You may own the place, but now if you're a follower of Christ, you have a boss. You too can bring joy into that work environment. But not only that, Paul says, you've been given responsibility in a sense over these people or if you're a teacher, over the students in your room. You've been given power and authority. How are you going to use it? Paul says, don't masters abuse your slaves. But he goes even further in the book of Colossians. He says, treat them with what is fair and just. I mean, this is what was revolutionary for Paul to tell masters how to care for their, for their slaves. But he could now because they were believers and followers in Christ. And he reminds them, you have a master now. And it's the same master as your slave. And one who shows no partiality, no distinction. So treat them well. Because the situation that you're in is temporary. This is temporary, but one day heaven is eternal. And maybe some of those people might be an authority over you. But most importantly, you have the privilege and the honor and responsibility of representing Christ to them, to your employees. Last two names here. These are my favorites. Miss C. C Sharp. Miss C Sharp. What do you think she does? Yeah, music teacher. And my favorite one, this is a reflection that my wife still thinks I'm a middle school boy. But his name is Joshua Butt. I wish his name was Seymour, right? <laughs> Seymour Butts. <laughs> but he was actually a gastroenterologist. And how do you say that? That's a long name. He looked at a lot of butts, right? <laughs> he was destined for that. You know, in these five verses, Jesus is mentioned five times. So you can't get away that Jesus needs to go to work with you, right? And one of the themes that we've kind of talked about in this series is worshiping at work. And that doesn't mean... You know, you have a church service. I mean, unless they hire you to be a chaplain there, you can do that. But it does mean that you bring Jesus in your attitude. Oftentimes we look to our jobs to provide us with meaning and significance. But what Paul is saying is that we need to provide our jobs 
with meaning and significance. And we're the ones that bring it because of Christ. I mean, you think about it, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam was working, right, the Garden of Eden was the convergence of, 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 of earth and heaven. So he was working, but God was there. I mean, God is walking in the garden. And who knows how often this happened or how regularly, but, but, but there was no church. I mean, there was no, no temple or, or sanctuary. I mean, God was there. And so when Adam was working, he was, he was worshiping God. But then when sin entered the picture, changed all that. As a matter of fact, God kicked them out of the garden. Because you don't want to be in the presence of God when you're in sin. That's not a good thing. You, you need Jesus to deal with your sin before you're going to be in the presence of God. And so God graciously kicked them out of the garden, out of his holy presence, because they were sinful now. Okay, so, so there was a divide. But then God provided the nation of Israel with a place, a tabernacle, and then later a temple where, where God promised to meet them, right? He, he was in the middle of their camp, and, and there he received sacrifices. They could provide sacrifices to be forgiven, to be made right with God. He, he gave them his name so that when they prayed in his name, he would hear. And they covered that place with his glory. I mean, his kind of glory would, would overshadow the tabernacle and later the temple, representing his presence there with them. But you know what? When Jesus came, Again, he changed all that, going back to how it once was. Because Jesus says, now, where is the temple? You are the temple. You've been given God's spirit to reside within you, the presence of Christ. You've been given his name so that no matter where you're at, you can pray in the name of Jesus, and God hears that. But not only that, the Holy Spirit now working in you produces the glory of God in you. And so when you go to work, you're bringing the church <laughs> with you. You're bringing the presence of Christ. You're bringing worship to where you work. That you are representing Christ there. One writer says, even the most menial, mundane, earthly, insignificant action, when done for Christ, can be elevated to an act of serving and worshiping and representing the King. Your work matters to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, uh, for this passage that... Uh, Lord, it really challenges us, Lord, to think about our work and how important it is. But Lord, that you've given us the, the privilege to represent you to those that we work with, to those that we work under, to those that we work over. And Lord, I pray that through the power of your Spirit working in us, Lord, you would produce more reverence, more sincerity, more joy more hope, more care at our workplaces because of us, that people would see you in us as we worship you, as we work. In Jesus' name, amen.